Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade away like the grass and wither like the green herb. And so whether you're uh, just or unjust, that it, the same fate takes us all, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, uh, that we fade away like the grass. Or like we read in Psalm 103, verses 15 through 16. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. So this is the first fact that God wants uh, to be proclaimed and us to understand that we are like grass, that we will wither and fade away. And, and secondly, as part of that, we see in what Isaiah proclaims here is that we are subject to the province of God. He, he says there, he says in verse 7, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. And so God is in control. He's sovereign and it's his providence. He decides our, 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 our fate, our destiny, our, our direction. Uh, and God is in control. And, and so it, it happens when God chooses. God chooses our days. He directs our paths and he watches over us. And here's the thing. It, it, the reason this truth is important uh, that, that this truth that God wants Isaiah proclaimed is, is that, that if you don't think that you're ever going to fade away, you're going to have a hard time trusting in God. You see, those who are self-sufficient and self-aggrandizing and who trust in themselves and the things of this world, who fear man but don't fear God, they'll, they'll never hear the good news from the Lord. They'll never hear the comfort that God provides in his word because they think that they, uh, uh, that they don't need God. Isaiah 51, 12 says this, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies or the son of man who is made like grass? And so this is a truth we need to get a hold of. Uh, that, uh, that we are like grass, that we fade away, and that we, we need to trust in God in his providence and not in man or ourselves. James, 1, 9, uh, James chapter 1, 9, verses 9 through 11 puts it this way. He, he, in that passage, he talks about the, the low man or the poor man or, or the rich man. And so he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Uh, and so we do not put trust in the rich. They, like anyone else, passes away. He says, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers. The, it withers the grass, its flower fails, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And, and, and so the problem with the rich person is, that their tendency is to trust in their wealth and not trust in Jesus Christ. And so the first truth that we encounter here is that humanity and all that it holds dear in this world will fade and wither and perish. The things of this world are passing away to include each one of us. The second, secondly, the second indicative or fact, truth that we come across here, we find in verse 8. He, he, says, he says, the grass withers, the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. And, and so the first uh, thing we see here concerning uh, God, and so here's the contrast. First we see man, man perishes, uh, but here we see the second fact concerning God, that God uh, is forever and his word is forever. You see, the word of God stands forever uh, because God himself is from everlasting to everlasting. That's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, later on in this chapter, God says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And so God is everlasting. The psalmist says that in Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so the second fact we see here is that God is everlasting, and because God is everlasting, his word is everlasting. But not only that, not only uh, does his word stand forever, because God is forever from everlasting to everlasting, but the word stands forever because God does not lie. God does not lie. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God, God's word stands forever because his word, he, he does not lie. And so whatever he speaks, whatever he says comes to pass. It will not fail. It, 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 he, will, he will not take it back. It will stand forever. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Or Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so the well, reason the word of God stands forever is because when God speaks, he fulfills his word, he fulfills his promises, and his promises always stand, and therefore his word stands forever. But not only that, that the word stands forever because it accomplishes its purpose. It accomplishes its purpose. Isaiah 45, verse 23, but myself, by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Or Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so the word of God stands forever because it, because it accomplishes its purpose. There is nothing or no one who can God's word or his will when he promises he will accomplish to what that his purpose to what he gave his word and and so that ought to provide us comfort knowing that when God promises something it, he will accomplish it that it will have its effect but finally here we, we see that the word of God stands forever in the person and work of Jesus Christ how do we know that? Uh, how, do we, how do we make the, uh, how do we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament here and, and make the connection that 
that uh, the word stands forever in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, first, first Jesus himself said so uh, in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, in fact, this is a, a verse that is uh, exactly the same in every one of those Gospels, uh, whether it be Matthew 24, verse 35, Mark 13, 31, or Luke 21, 33. Uh, these are the words of Jesus. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Well, the only person who can make that claim is God himself, right? And, and so Jesus here is making a claim to be, be the son of God, to be God himself, and, and, and that his word, just like God the Father, uh, that his word will endure forever. It will not pass away. But another passage that helps us make this connection uh, between God's word uh, there in Isaiah chapter 40 in, in the gospel, uh, as we see in the New Testament, is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. There it says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And, and, and notice what it says here, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That Jesus Christ himself uh, it, it, who endures forever, uh, upholds everything by his word. And so Christ is the one enduring reality in a constantly changing world. I want to say that again, that Christ is the one enduring reality in a constantly changing world. And his word doesn't change. We can trust his word we can trust the gospel. We can trust in Jesus Christ. God is everlasting and his word is everlasting. And Christ is everlasting. And therefore his word endures forever. And so this is a comfort. What a, what a comfort that God has given us in the fact that he has given us his word and it stands forever. When we look at, at, at the words here in the Bible, every word is the word of God, and it's meant to bring us instruction, it's meant to bring us encouragement, and it's meant to bring us uh, a comfort as we follow and trust in Jesus Christ. Because every word we know it is directed towards the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if the two truths that we find here in, in verses 6 through 8 is one that man is like grass and will fade away, uh, but God in his word endures forever. What are then three implications that we can take from God's word today? Three implications that come from the fact that God's word endures forever, that his word stands forever. And, and so the first implication that we can take from verses 6 through 8 is that because God's word stands forever, it is able to expose the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That God's word is able to expose our thoughts and the intentions 
of our heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 through 13 tell us this. He says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This, this means that, that there's nothing, nothing that will be hidden from God. Sometimes we, we think that, right, that we can, uh, we can hide from God in some way. We can hide our sins or maybe our thoughts uh, or, or different things, but nothing can be hidden from God. Everything will be exposed. That, that God knows everything and that he uses his word, his word that, that uh, is full of knowledge and wisdom, uh, it, that he uses it to expose the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Now, some of you think, well, that's not a good thing. <laughs> but that is a good thing, right? Because we lie to ourselves, don't we? We lie to ourselves about who we are and, and uh, about, uh, about our sins and, and our faults. And so we need the Word of God uh, to expose the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, uh, many years ago, and back in the 80s, there's a song by a Christian artist. Uh, about the Bible, and basically he said, uh, I opened the Bible, and it was about me. Well, we know it's about Christ, but it's about him in the sense that, that the Word of God exposes our thoughts and intentions. It tells us who we are as, as, uh, as people, that we are sinful, that we are in rebellion against the creator uh, of the universe, and that we are in need of a Savior. But the second implication that we find here in verses 6 through 8 is that because God's word stands forever, it is able to deliver us and restore us. That, that God's word, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is able uh, to save us from our sin and to comfort us uh, in our affliction, to guide us as we live life. Uh, and, and so that God's word is able uh, to deliver us and restore us, to save, uh, to save our souls. Romans 1.16 is one verse. Uh, there's many other verses, but I'm just going to quote Romans 1.16, where the Apostle Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That the word of God is the power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And this is what the word of God is. It is the gospel. It's good, the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it is able to save us and deliver us and to restore us and to comfort us. But the third implication is that because God's word stands forever, as we saw in verses 6 through 8, that it's able not only to save us, but it's able to transform us and empower us to walk in obedience to God's commands. Again, just one verse I'm going to share. Again, from the word, uh, from the mouth of, of Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He, he's praying to the Father, and he says, he says, he prays, sanctify them in the truth. He's talking about his disciples, those who follow him. He, he says, prays to the Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And, and so it is the word of God 
that God uses to make us holy, to sanctify us, to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And why? Uh, because his word is powerful. It endures forever. It is living and active. It is able to, to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And it is, order, it is able to make us holy and to sanctify us in the truth. And so three implications lead to four responses. Four responses from the Christian, from, from those who would follow Jesus Christ and his word. Now these responses, uh, these four responses uh, are, are really one response overall, uh, but broken down so that we can see how we can understand and respond to God's word that endures forever. And so the first response that we should, uh, as Christians, have to the word of God uh, comes from James chapter 1, verse 21, a, a passage that we read earlier uh, at, at, before we prayed. Uh, it said, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And so uh, we are, as, uh, as God's people, uh, or really, when you're a, if you're a, not a Christian, that the first thing you must do is you must receive God's word with meekness. But once you become a Christian, you don't cease to receive God's word with meekness. You must continue to walk in humbleness and meekness. You see, only the poor in spirit will enter the kingdom of God, and only the meek will inherit the earth, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, only those who are humble before, them, before Christ and his word will be saved, and only Christians who are humble before Christ and his word will be transformed by it. It is the word of God, and as the word of God, we are to receive it as a child receives something from a parent or a subject receives something from a king. We're to receive it in humility, knowing that his word is powerful, that it exposes the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so we receive it with meekness because we also know that the word of God, what stands forever, is able to save our soul. And so it is with meekness. It is with humbleness. When you come uh, every Sunday and you hear the preaching of the word, or if you go to Bible study and you, and you hear the teaching of God's word, the, uh, that you are to receive that word in meekness, knowing that God has provided it to you in order to transform you, in order to encourage you, in order to instruct you, in order to comfort you so that you might become fully mature in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we are to gather together, hear his word, and receive it in meekness. Secondly, the, the second response that ought to come from those who follow Jesus Christ to his word, which endures forever, is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. There the apostle Paul writes, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so uh, the second response that we as God's people, not only should we receive the, the word of God with meekness, but we ought to let it dwell deeply in us, dwell in us richly is the, the word that the Apostle Paul uses. That, that uh, You see, in the word of God, in, in, in Jesus' words, in the gospel, there is a cornucopia of riches. There's wisdom, there's goodness, there's comfort, there's solace, there's joy, there's peace, there's life, there's Christ himself. And so in this verse, the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us some of that goodness that comes from allowing the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He, he, says, he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And, and so we see some of that, the teaching and admonishing, the, the singing, the thankfulness, the direction and purpose. We, we see eternity. And, and, and so the Apostle Paul, he, he doesn't want us to just dip our toe in the pool or sip from the cup. He wants us to plunge into the Word. He wants us to drink deeply. He wants us to taste and savor the Word of Christ because he knows that it is in the Word of Christ uh, that when it dwells in us richly, uh, when, it, when we eat it deep into our hearts, uh, that, that uh, we'll see uh, all the riches of his word, and we'll see the wisdom, we'll know the joy, we'll have peace and, and reconciliation, not only with one another, uh, but with God. And, and, and so he wants, uh, wants us to do, have it dwell in us richly. And this isn't just a, uh, this isn't just a call uh, for individual disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, to, to allow it to, to go deeply and richly uh, to dwell there. But it's a, this is, there's a corporate aspect to what the Apostle Paul is saying here, right? It, it, we see that played out as, as he talks about teaching and admonishing one another, about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts, hearts to God. And, and so the church uh, is to let the Word of God dwell richly in all that it does so that it can teach one another. That's why when we gather here on Sunday mornings, we, we make an effort, uh, we make an effort to, uh, as we gather, we gather around the word of God. That's why in our church here that the pulpit is central, uh, it rec it, it's, it's a symbol of saying that the word of God is central to all that we do. That's why we, we pray the word uh, that we read the word, we sing the word of God, uh, we see the word of God demonstrated in the Lord's Supper, we, we hear the word through preaching. We are trying to make sure uh, as we gather as God's people that the word of God dwells richly in us in order that we might teach one another, admonish one another, that we might sing psalms and hymns and, and do all these things together in, all, in order that we might follow Jesus Christ. The Puritan John Gill, who, who wrote uh, uh, 400 years ago, probably, he, he said it this way uh, about this passage in Colossians 3.16. He said this uh, about the Apostle Paul. His meaning is that not one part of the scripture only should be regarded and attended to, but the whole of it, every truth and doctrine in it, even the whole counsel of God, which as it is to be declared and preached, in its utmost compass, so all and every part of it is to be received in the love of it 
and to be abided in and by. There is a fullness in the scriptures, an abundance of truth in the gospel, a large affluence of it. It is a rich treasure and an invaluable mind of precious truths, all what should have a place to their full extent in both preacher and hearer, and that in all wisdom, or to un-all wisdom, in order to attain all wisdom, not natural wisdom, which is not the design of the scriptures, nor the gospel of Christ, but spiritual wisdom, or wisdom in spiritual things, and things relating to salvation, which is and may be arrived unto through attendance to the word of Christ, reading and hearing of it, meditating on it, and especially when accompanied with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, which is to be desired and prayed for. And so, so how do we respond? We, we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That, that, means, that means we must hear it, we must read it, we must study it, we must meditate on it, we must delight in it, uh, and it must be uh, the air we breathe like prayer, uh, that the word of God uh, it, that which endures forever, we ought to let it dwell in us richly. Thirdly, thirdly, how are we as Christians to, to respond to the word of God which endures forever? Uh, we're to respond with obedience. We're to respond with obedience. We receive the word with meekness. We let it dwell in us richly, and we respond to it by walking in obedience to the word. First Peter 1 Chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, in a, in a passage uh, where Peter actually quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8, he says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And, and so thirdly, we are to respond in obedience. The, the word of God transforms us so that we can walk in obedience uh, to the truth. For as Peter says here, for we are born of the living and abiding word of God, not of perishable seed of man, which is like grass and fades away but we were born uh, of the word of God the good news of Jesus Christ and it has transformed us and it is transforming us and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ why so that we might be obedient to the truth to what God has called us to uh, and part of what he has called us to Peter makes clear in this passage that we are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart and so Peter says, how do you know that you're being obedient to the word of God? You're loving one another earnestly from a pure heart. If you're not loving one another, if you can't love your fellow Christians, then the issue becomes, have you been born of the living word of God? Have, are you walking in obedience to it? Do you, how do you know? This is basically what Peter says. How do you know that you've received the word of God with meekness and it is indwelling you uh, deeply and richly he says you're loving your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that's how you know that's how you know that you're walking in obedience uh, Jesus said uh, he, in fact he summed up he summed up the word didn't he for us he summed it up by saying uh, the word can be summed up this way love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself 
And, and, and so that the fact that we love one another shows uh, that we are walking in obedience to the word of God. But fourthly, fourthly, how do we respond to the word of God? Uh, how do we respond? You, we respond with praise. We respond with praise and delight in the word of God. You see, you see, you'll never receive the word of God with meekness until you delight in the word of God. The word of God stands forever. The word of God comes from God who loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And one of the things Jesus did was that he, he taught, taught us how to love and to follow God the Father, to follow him in the Holy Spirit. And so the natural response of every Christian to God's word ought to be delight and praise. In fact, the, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is a psalm all about the psalmist praising the word of God. And so we ought to respond with praise. And, and I'm just going to quote two verses from Psalm 119. Verse 62, at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Or verse 164, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. And so one of the natural responses as, as Christians to God's word ought to be delight and praise. He has given his word to us in order to save our souls. And so we ought to delight in his word. We ought to delight in truth. If his word is truth, every Christian ought to delight in the truth, right? That we shouldn't delight in falsehood. And so we ought to delight in his word because his word is truth. And so we want to praise God for his word. We want to praise God for the gospel. We want to praise God for his son, Jesus Christ, who is the living word who will endure forever. And so, dear ones, I, I, I would say to you today, let Christ dwell in you richly and let his word dwell in you richly as Christ is your only comfort in life and in death. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we are grateful for your word and we praise you for your word to us today. We praise you that your word does endure forever. Not the words of man or the philosophies of man. Not even my own words. But Father, your word endures forever. And because of that, it is a comfort to our souls in the midst of a world that continues to be turned upside down. And so Father, may we turn to your word today May we turn to your son, Jesus Christ, the living word, who upholds the universe by the word of his power. It is to him that we turn and trust and follow. In Christ's name we pray.